Welcome to the Voice of Retail. I'm your host, Michael LeBlanc. This podcast is brought to you in conjunction with Retail Council of Canada, and this episode is supported by Snapchat Canada. In this episode, I'm in Montreal to meet co-founders and CEOs of international phenom Moose Knuckles Canada, Noah Stern and Ail Tweak. I talk with both CEOs as they share their vision around their fashion-forward brand of outerwear that is polar opposite the rest of the luxury brands, and we hear their take on being successful in retail as they continue to expand around the world with two existing flagship stores, more on the way here in Canada and internationally, and plans for over a dozen pop-up stores happening to maintain the incredible momentum of the brand. Next, Snapchat Canada Director and GM Matt McGowan brings us up to speed on this powerful and popular platform for retailers with 238 million users daily worldwide, 9 million Canadians taking advantage of this fun, safe, and engaging platform. But first, let's hear from Noah and Ale. Noah and Ale, welcome to the Voice of Retail podcast. How are you both doing? Doing great. Thank you very much. Great. Thanks for having us. And, and Ale, you and I have something in common. Actually, no, we all have something in common. I went to uh, Robin U of T MBA, where I believe you're an alum, and Noah, I went to McGill. So we've got some higher education commonality amongst us, which is kind of fun just to talk about. So Very nice. My, my oldest son is now at McGill, I'm proud to say. All right. So to each of you, um, since I have the pleasure of interviewing you both uh, on this same podcast, each of you individually... Tell me about your personal professional journeys and then and I'll get to I've got specific questions for each of you based on, you know, just such a wonderful brand, by the way. I just love your brand. I love everything about it. And uh, so I'm so excited to kind of delve into uh, Moose Knuckles and, and how it came to be and how you think about things and, and your product. But why don't we just start with your personal professional journeys? Noah, why don't we start with you? Well, I grew up in Winnipeg and uh, I grew up around actually uh, a coat factory and a men's clothing factory, which was started by my great-grandfather in 1921, David Freed. And then uh, my grandfather, who I was very, very close to the, the whole duration of my life until he passed recently, Joseph Freed, who took the business on and actually was the very first licensee of, at the time, a very small and unknown brand called London Fog. And he took that license on in 1960, and that license for Canada London Fog in Canada was my family until 2006. Uh, so I grew up around that, that factory and worked there from the time I was eight years old. I started in the shipping room and then worked my way through many different parts of the business through the actual cutting of the fabric and a little bit of sewing and some pressing and on into the office, mm. the front office, and kind of learning all there is to learn about uh, the business of fashion and coats. And then I left uh, Winnipeg. I went to McGill. I uh, graduated uh, there from uh, with a BA in economics. And from there, went back to McGill for law school. And I graduated from law school and went to practice law as a mergers and acquisitions lawyer mm-hmm. in uh, New York at a firm called Skadnarps, a, a large New York firm. Mm-hmm. I practiced for about three years. And then my uncle uh, called me, who was running Freed & Freed and owned Freed & Freed, which is the coat company in Winnipeg called me to ask me if I wanted to come into the business and take over as its president. Because, you know, this business, everyone will tell you, it's a tough business. And Mm -hmm. I think that once you've had several decades in it, it can wear you down a little bit. And so my uncle was at that point, and and I did leave my law practice, moved to Winnipeg, and became the president of Freed & Freed. We moved it to Montreal to take advantage of the uber talent that exists in the city in the fashion industry. Yeah. And then um, I left Freed and Freed in 2007 uh, and uh, 
partnered up with Al. We'll tell you his story in a second. Uh, and then we started in, in, in a different coat business called Levy Canada with a partner in New York, the Levy Group. And then we went into the gene business together in 2008. We bought a ladies gene company called FDJ, which is still going strong today and doing very well. And in 2009, we, uh, we found Moose Knuckles and uh, took it from really zero to what it is today. And that's been the most exciting an interesting uh, journey that I've ever had professionally. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. Such a such a background steeped in uh, the apparel and fashion and retail. It's fantastic. A little M&A mixed in, which always comes in handy when thinking about perspectives around what comes next. Yeah. Ayo, what about yourself? What's your background? Well, I, similar in terms of um, my family started in the apparel business. My father started a, a he was actually an immigrant to Canada. He uh, started uh, cutting cutting leather for a living when he got here uh, got fired from his first job couldn't speak English or French built a built an amazing private label business uh, in Canada selling uh, to everyone from uh, the Bay and Sears and uh, and winners uh, all different retailers and I kind of grew up on it working in the summers in the shipping department starting there uh, early on in my career I went to to Concordia and then uh, and then work for a bit for about six months. And then before, then I decided that I really, the business wasn't really for me. It was, you know, it's private label, very, very tough business. I, so I wanted to do something else. So I went, did my MBA at, at Rotman, which I know you, you attended as well. Yeah. And uh, it was, it was a great experience for me because going there, uh, I really felt like I could keep up and I was, you know, being with all these talented people in, in, mm. in finance and, and marketing and, uh, and consulting, I really uh, felt like I could keep up and it really gave me a lot of confidence actually. And so I, from there I went to work at a, at a small niche retail consulting company called Caribus management. It was later bought by PWC, but we would, uh, we had clients like American Eagle and uh, uh, Lane Bryant and Victoria's secret being at a small firm. I really got a lot of executive time where I was able to speak to a lot of executives being a young 20 something year old uh, kid and being really the lowest on the totem pole there uh, gave me a lot of experience. It really showed me how retail works and how big business works. And then unfortunately, uh, my father's brother, who was his partner, passed away. Uh, and he, my father was, was struggling a little bit in the business uh, personally. And he asked me to rejoin him. He was actually living in Toronto at the time. Grew up in Montreal, but living in Toronto. I, I was loving Toronto. I never actually wanted to move back, never had any ambition to move back to Montreal. And then, uh, but when my father called, I said, I'll, I'll come, but I really don't, one, I don't think that I can add much value in the private label business. Mm-hmm. And uh, two, I, I, I wanted to do something else. So I said, I'll, I'll come and help, but only if I, can, if I can branch out and do more brands. Because I thought that, you know, brand building was a passion of mine and, and I thought I'd, something I would be better suited for. And so I wanted to do something more um, associated with brands. Came back, partnered with Noah, did what exactly what Noah said, but bought FDJ and then, and then found uh, Moose Knuckles where we, where we uh, bought it when it was very, very small. And uh, then started building the brand for the last, you know, 10 years. I've been working in, in, in Moose Knuckles um, bringing it from a, a very, very small brand with, with four SKUs starting to, to a brand where it is today, where it's global and probably the third largest premium outerwear brand in the world. So we're very, very proud of, of uh, where, where we started and where, where we've come from. 
Well, they're, they're both great stories of this intersection of the personal and business, which I, I love to hear. So thank you for sharing that. And, and it, there's no question, Moose Knuckles has got a momentum. And you know, you both know how important momentum is in business. And, and it, it certainly has it. And, and it, you know, I'll be interested to hear more about how you bought the brand. I, I was part of buying a brand as well when Black & Decker bought the brand DeWalt, which at the time was, you know, one little product and just created a, a you know, an entire category or brand from that for for all the kind of reasons that you guys might be uh, familiar with. No, let's talk about uh, you're both co-CEOs. So I'm kind of curious a little bit about governance. Who does what? You know, how do you how do you figure out who does what in the organization? And inevitably, when there's some disagreement about some element of the business between the two, how do you break the tie on that? So just give me a, a bit of insight into your tradecraft, so to speak, about how the two of you run the business together. Well, the, the latter part of that question is a loaded one, I'll tell you. But uh, I can tell you that uh, we really divided the business uh, up as far as duties, kind of along our, our, our history, right? I, I'm steeped in how to actually make product, how to design product, how to construct it, engineer it, produce it, etc. And Eyal was steeped in the, in, the, in 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 retail and in uh, brand building and, and so on. So really. Uh, I start with the beginning of the process and AL kind of comes in and takes it from there. So I start with product design and I go into product development, into production, into operations, uh, supply chain. And uh, also, uh, you know, we both we both are involved in branding in the sense that I will plan and have built our new stores. Um, and AL uh, has all the marketing people reporting it to him. I'll let him tell you more about what he does. But I really, we're, our offices are right next to each other. It makes it very hard for me. I got to tell you, but, uh, but, but they're, I'm kidding. They're, they're, we're At least right your there. desks aren't, aren't pushed together, which right, I've exactly. seen some people do. He's kidding, but I, but I won't be. I won't. <laughs> but uh, we have a great working relationship. Uh, and whenever I need uh, input on a style or an element mm. in the line, I bring him in and I ask him, I bring coats into his office and product into his office all the time. He brings me ideas for marketing and for branding and for business development. So it's a very collaborative process. But at the same time, we have to have a clear line of authority for the people that report to us. So yeah. Uh, it's well divided, but still very collaborative, and it works. It works pretty well. It's a good segue. Tell us about Moose Knuckles, the retailer, like the the category you play in. Like for the listener, not all listeners may know of your brand, or may know they may know of it, but they don't really know as much as they as they should. Just the basics, kind of you know where you're available, and and uh, the retailers where you're sold, and and where you manufacture the product, sure. the breadth of the product, and and number of stores, retail parties, just the kind of you know, what, how do you go to market as, as, uh, as Moose Knuckles? Sure. Uh, but before I do, I just want to say, you know, in our unique structure where we are co-CEOs, it's definitely a lot more fun for us. We, we have, we have such a great time in this business. We're very, very entrepreneurial. We've, we've grown past the kind of entrepreneurial sides. We have a lot of great people internally, uh, that know a lot more about the different areas than probably we do at this point in many, in many areas. And, uh, we're kind of just, we're leading it, but really we're, we're having a blast. So, you know, you, you, you've seen the marketing, you, you've seen what we do and where people who mm-hmm. haven't mm-hmm. listened probably should check it out. But it, you, you, you see right away that anybody involved in this brand is having a good time. Well, and, I, I was going to say, you know, the, the, it's reflected in, in everything because there's kind of a, I don't know what I'd say, insouciance sometimes about the brand and the marketing. Like there's just a, it's just, it looks like 
it's it's great for me to hear you say that because it looks like you're all having fun and doing great work because it kind of comes out I think in in both the marketing and the product. Yeah, and you know we just we we just hired uh, uh, not just but uh, about a year ago a, a, a VP of of, of sustainability, but his real title is VP. I don't know if I could swear on your podcast. Yeah, you could edit that if I'm not, but his real title, <laughs> actual title on his card, is VP of giving a fuck. <laughs> Very good. And, and, and my favorite uh, title in the company. I love that title. And we have another VP of getting shit done. <laughs> Both are and, very important, crucial. And, exactly. Both are. are extremely important. So we really play in that in terms of branding. We, we're a luxury brand. Uh, we're selling the best luxury retailers from a wholesale perspective uh, all over the world, whether whether you're talking about Cole Renfrew in Canada or mm-hmm. Neiman Marcus or Saks Fifth Avenue or Selfridges and Harrods, Beaumarchais Marché in France or uh, Lane Crawford in in, in China, Isatan in Tokyo. So really the best luxury retailers all over the world. So we are a luxury brand, but we like to play. Uh, we like to take all the good things about luxury and uh, and still have fun with all the, the stuff that we don't like, all the pretentiousness about luxury that, that bothers us. We like to take a piss out of things, make fun of ourselves, make fun of others, and just really just have a good time because fashion, after all, is a, is a is not it shouldn't be a serious business and sometimes we find that it is too serious and so uh we want we want to make it a lot more fun and, and we and when you're when you wear moose knuckles you you kind of get into that lifestyle a little bit and and, and feel a little bit of that because because why, why not you know life's too short to to take everything too seriously yeah right on now i've been in your yorkdale store i'm based in toronto so yorkdale's the closest to me but last year i had the opportunity to go and i think it was almost the week you opened i just happened to be in new york and went into your wonderful soho store oh, a couple great. of times you, you um well i literally i think it was you you just opened i happened to be there doing uh, organizing a store tour i put you on a store tour in january for that i used to do <laughs> back when there were conferences uh, <laughs> Uh, if we all remember those, but you know the big R- the big NRF show in January, I would I would take uh, thirty or forty CEOs on a retail tour of the most interesting retail in in New York, and certainly I think I was there. I think it was like the architect explaining some of it to someone else, and it was just a fascinating, just a great store. So how many how many brand stores do you have? I, I know of two, Yorkdale and and Soho. How many of your brand stores do you have? Well, we're we're happy to be opening in the next uh, a few few days and weeks um, two more in, in in Canada. We're we're opening in uh, in Pack Center and in in Vancouver, of course, and in uh, Chinook in Calgary. We're really really excited for that. Uh, we have we're opening two stores in in China this year, and uh, as we as a lot of people know, you know, China, Chinese. Uh, are you know consume about forty five percent of the world's luxury market today, and, a, and about half of that was consumed outside of China. A lot of that consumption is being consumed domestically inside China. So a big strategy of ours is to focus on China. So we're opening uh, two stores there, and and we're also opening the number keeps changing. I think fourteen uh, pop ups around the world, everywhere from London to Stockholm to uh, New York, uh, Shanghai. Beijing, all over the world, so people can experience what it, what the Moose Knuckles uh, vibe is in person, uh, assuming they're going out. Well, let's talk about that vibe. No, dive into the brand for us. Um, the origins, as you said, was you picked up a brand that already existed, but you kind of clearly you've made it your own. But as you think about the silhouette and you think about the brand and, and the product, where do you draw your inspiration from? I mean, it is, to excuse the pun, it's kind of polar opposite from many of the athletic 
outerwear luxury brand that you would see. So tell me how you draw your your inspiration and and you know when you look at product and when you design it, how do you how do you approach that? Do you draw influences from Europe as often? Uh, you know, manufacturers, brands in, in Quebec do, or where do you draw your inspiration from? Well, you know, it's a great question. So branding and, and silhouette, they're tied, of course. But when you think about product, the, the challenge that we wanted, we had a very specific aim in mind from a product point of view when we took on the brand. We loved the branding. It had just started. It was in its infancy. There were really no orders on the books. Um, but what we what we decided we wanted to have is we wanted to have a product that was the highest quality down parka in the market that kept you the warmest, but that still had a sexy tailored fit. And normally when you talk about warm down coats, you think about these kind of utilitarian puffy jackets that make you look like a snowman or like the Michelin man. And that's true for women, too. And we wanted to achieve the opposite. And so our, our team went to work to try to engineer and construct that exact thing, the warmest, best made parka in the world with the best fit that still makes you look sexy and slim. And they managed to achieve it. In fact, mm. we recently were rated by Retail Insider, who did a study on thermal insulation of the core products of us against our three biggest competitors, uh, which one had the highest uh, thermal insulation uh, rating, and, and we and we had the highest. So our people really did uh, achieve what we set out to do, and and when we did that, we kind of married that to the branding. And, and what is the branding? Mm-hmm. Well, the branding is first of all, it's irreverent. We we've never, as Al said, we we've, it's not a brand. We don't like to take or tell ourselves very seriously. We don't like pretense. We don't like exclusivity. We don't believe in those things. We think those are mirages. What we really believe is in you know, radical inclusivity. Come on in, experience Moose Knuckles, experience the brand. We're doing all kinds of fun shit, not just making great product, but telling great stories and telling them in irreverent, funny ways. So people really, they, they seem to engage more with the story than uh, any kind of smoke and mirrors that is the brand. We're very authentic in the way we speak to people. Vice president of giving a fuck is a perfect example. We're not scared to say things as they are, uh, or and that goes right right into our marketing. We believe in in immediacy. Uh, you know, we one of the terms that we use. I hate to keep swearing, but one of the terms we use in the company is "carpe that fucking diem." You know, <laughs> immediacy, live unconstrained, freedom. Message for the time. Message for the times. It would say that, exactly, exactly. So these these kinds of these kinds of value systems that we have really seems to resonate with young people, and it's very interesting because when we look at kind of what made us hot early on in Canada, we started. We were just started out, and, and it was maybe a year or two in, and we started getting calls from Korea from all these fashion distributors in Korea. And I, we were a small company. We were doing, you know, two, two, three million dollars at the time. Uh, and um, they, 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 they were calling us and they were saying, uh, they were saying, look, we really want to carry your brand in Korea. We couldn't figure out why we're getting all these calls from Korea. Then we realized when we looked at who our consumers were in Toronto specifically, it was all of these Koreans and Chinese young consumers. Who were very fashion them. for very fashion forward, right? Like, right. But why were they buying? It? And I believe yeah, yeah. That one of the reasons they were buying it is they are so used to, uh, you know, 
not all of them, obviously, I'm generalizing, but the construct of the family and the social structure, I think, is quite rigid. I think they were looking for a way to kind of say, yeah, I can buy the luxury items. I can buy the things that are are high quality and, uh, and that are expensive. But at the same time as I'm doing that, I can kind of flip the finger at uh, at authority. I can kind of be a little bit of a renegade in the things that I purchase and the personality that I evoke when I walk down the street wearing a luxury product. And I think that that is what they gravitated to the brand because we were telling such an authentic, true, what's the word I'm looking for? I, I, not a confrontational story, but, 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 uh, but, a, but a story that uh, resonated with young people because it was on the edge. Uh, and, and so they were able, and that's why they gravitated to it. And we've embraced that. And, and that's kind of how we go to, that's how we go to market is, is on the edge. And when we look at our product and how we design our product, we use three words really, which are polished utility with edge. Everything we do has to have a purpose. There has to be utility in everything we do. We're not just going to make a cheap product and put our logo on it ever. Uh, we must have high quality and utility. It has to have a certain polish to it because we are in the luxury business and we have to tell, it has to have some edge. It has to be trendy and edgy from a fashion point of view. And that kind of cuts across all the marketing we do uh, around the brand as well. What does um, edge look like in the COVID era? When I think of insouciant and I think of other things, you know, we 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 think more of safety now and and all these other things that the, you know, that the time are in, does it, is it in, influencing in some way your design or your, the way you think about the brand in the short or medium term? It, it influences, uh, it does. It influences everything we do in, in our design and also in the stories we tell on the garments. Uh, mm. For example, even our fit is edgy. Uh, it's a very slender fit. You know, our traditional moose knuckles fit is a slender, sexy fit. So that's yeah. edgy. Yeah. We'll put edgy trims on it. Our core product, our core parkas, the zipper pull is in the shape of an axe to evoke Canadian, you know, to evoke lumberjacks and, and, and our Canadian heritage. Hmm. We've done things like we put a patch inside, a performance patch so, sewn into the into the facing of the coat. When you open it up, that says, uh, you know, power puff. Do you know how effing cold it is in Canada? We do. Right. So it's it. That's how it's edgy. It speaks to the consumer in the way the consumer would speak to one of their buddies or one of their girlfriends. And that's how we want to speak to our consumer. We want them to feel familiar with us and with Canadians, which the Canadian vibe is a bit of a mysterious vibe around the world. No one really knows what it is. So Mm. we're kind of speaking in a very candid, different way, which I think brings a consumer towards the brand. And ingratiates us with that. Well, one thing that just adds that, sorry about it. Mm-hmm. We, we, you know, we, we're, co- we're taking risks all the time, whether it's from a marketing or from a design point of view. We, we talk internally all the time it, it is about you're never going to break boundaries unless you take risks. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and as a company, we, we, we want to, to glow and grow into this, into this uh, brand that's known all over the world. And so we're, to do that, you've got to take risks. And that's, very inherent in, in the company and what we do every day. Well, you've you've mentioned you know two new stores, lots of pop ups. Were you thinking about this in? Let me take you back. In other words, to the before time, pre COVID. I don't want to hang on, you know, dwell on COVID too much, but it is influencing our lives. Has your strategy at all changed for the brand expansion and how you go to market and all these things? I mean, surely it's changed a little bit because we don't have a lot of tourists coming to Canada to experience your brand from from China and elsewhere. So maybe 
maybe that's the kind of let's make sure and go where the consumers are. But if you could speak to that for a minute about, well, in the before time, so 2019, here's what we thought we'd be doing. And has any of that changed in your minds around execution or strategy, given knowing what you now know and, and what we can see uh, for the future? Well, you know, we're, we're a young brand. Out of all the major luxury outerwear players in the world, we probably have the youngest customer. So we've always been very, very digital focused. And uh, mm. so I think a lot of people are catching up to to way, the way we were doing things in many ways. That being said, we're obviously, you know, the world's changed forever. Mm. Uh, I, I'm, I'm working from home today. You heard my dog in the background before. Mm. We know we have. We know we have to get. We have to accelerate and uh, and bump up the, the the digital quotient, and we're and we're doing that. And it's something that we already know because young people are kids all over the world because of this digital age. They're all everyone's the same. So um, because everyone's looking at the same uh, artists, the same people, and so I think that's what's great about globalization, and that is that uh, every everyone is kind of heading in the same direction, which is awesome. In terms of, um, in terms of China, you mentioned, yeah, for sure. We know uh, that they're going to be, uh, Chinese are going to be shopping uh, less outside of, of, uh, of China. So we're, we're bringing it to them and there's a huge demand there already. So it was kind of an easy, uh, an easy step. But definitely digital in China are probably our two biggest focuses right now. Yeah, it gives you the advantage of being, you know, boots on the ground, so to speak, or coats on the ground. So you can make sure that there's no, there's no question around the authenticity of the product, right? Which is always an issue internationally, right? The, the folks who like to uh, take your product and make uh, and knock it off, but it's, it's a great strategy, right? Because there's no question when you buy from your, from your store that it's an authentic uh, Moose Knuckles product, which brings me kind of to my last question. No, I'm going to pitch this one to you. How do you balance off over the years and in time, your wholesale great relationships that you had, you, you know, as you mentioned Saks and, and then Neiman Marcus and, and brands like that, where you're made available with your direct to consumer strategies. How do you, how do you, um, on a day to day balance those two things off so that you, you get one plus one equals three. It's a great question. I, I honestly, I, I don't think that one lives at the expense of the other at all. We, we built our business with, uh, with retail partners, uh, who are so incredibly good at what they do. And we, we learn from them every day. We watch people like Nordstrom and, and Saks Fifth Avenue and Selfridges is amazing. Uh, there's some concept stores in China run by uh, a company called SKP, which are just phenomenal. You know, how do you, how do you at, a, at a very small size and with not a lot of brand recognition, but with great product, how do you get it? How do you get it out there? How do you get it around the world? How do you gain that recognition? The fastest and best way is to partner with great retailers, which is what we've done. They put your stuff on the floor and you can do all kinds of events, which we plan and have regularly with them. Eventually, when you get to a certain size, you can pitch them on putting in hard shops, which we've done with many of them uh, and continue to build uh, seasonally with many more. Really, the best footprint, the fastest footprint for your brand, the fastest way to build a brand is by selecting top-level, excellent retail partners, which is what we've been able to do, and we're lucky to to have them. And we would never, ever abandon them for the sake of mm. DTC. Uh, DTC is something that we evolved to, online aside, which is a natural evolution, but our own brick-and-mortar stores, we evolved to it because we've got such a – we're crossing such a huge segment of the world now. And the market, the what the retailers want from us in Europe – 
is different than the retailers in Canada, which is different than the retailers in America and is different in Asia. How do we, so we, we have a, we, as Al said, we started with four SKUs. Now we have, you know, 200 styles in our line in a season. How do we bring our brand in its full glory to market? How do we tell the story fully the way we want to tell it from a product marketing uh, collateral point of view, marketing collateral, in-store marketing collateral point of view? And really the only way to do it is in your own space. These retailers are going to buy you as well as all of the other great brands around us. And they have their own branded story to tell. So we decided that it was time for us to make the investment and tell our story uh, the way we want our consumer to see it, to see the full breadth of product, to see it at the right time, in the right uh, quantity, uh, and with the right uh, marketing collateral and branding around it. And it's been a phenomenal, phenomenal exercise, and we're very focused on expanding uh, our DTC footprint. Most look at there's a lot of brands out there who are very minimalist and very quiet. They have a, a, maybe a story of quality to tell, but they don't have as necessarily as big a personality as Moose Knuckles has. We have a lot to tell. We have great stories to share. We're a very big brand and we and we broadcast ourselves loudly for everyone to see. And we invite everyone to see us so and spend time with us. Uh, so having our own stores gives us the ability to do all those things, to hit all of those touch points with our consumer directly, to give them the knowledge on each product that they need to have before they make a big purchase like this uh, and to download the brand personality with them. So it's both channels are super important and uh, are both valued channels for us. Well, gentlemen, you've you've put on a clinic on how to build and create momentum for a brand in, in modern retail. So congratulations on your success. I, I, saw you, I see you both won the uh, EY Entrepreneur of the, of the Year Award in 2019 as well. So clearly uh, other people are recognizing what you're doing. So congratulations again on, on your success and, and the momentum. And I wish you uh, continued success and momentum. And thanks so much for joining me on the Voice of Retail podcast. Thank you very much. That was great. Thanks for having us. Fun. Matt, welcome to the Voice of Retail podcast. How are you doing this afternoon? I'm doing great. Uh, thanks for having me. Well, thanks for jumping on. Um, I'm really looking forward to this because I, I, I want to learn more about Snapchat and I want to, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those social platforms that, that really intrigues me for a whole bunch of reasons. And I think, I think it's one that uh, retailers will, will really benefit from learning a bit more about. And, and of course, you know, like many other things, uh, what we were thinking about it before in 2019 might be a bit different in 2020 and, and 2021. But it, let, let's let's just start with you. Uh, tell us a little bit about about yourself and, and your role at Snapchat. What can I tell you about me? I'm a born and bred New Yorker who moved to Canada and Toronto specifically about uh, eight years ago. Just over a year ago, took the role of GM and director here at Snapchat Canada. Worked in digital for 25 plus years now. Mm -hmm. um, I've been on like the buy and the sell side and the technology side. I've had a few exits. I even actually ran an re internet retailer 400 back in the day. Uh, we came in at about 125, the 125th, 126th largest retailer in the United States. I'm very much, I'm very excited about digital. I'm very excited about what the internet and what technology has done to industries like retail. And uh, I, specifically, I love like the pace 
of change and innovation I'm surrounded by. Um, so I've, I guess you could say I found a really good home here at Snapchat. We were just uh, named the most innovative uh, company of the year by Fast Company so just a couple months back. Wow, and there's a tremendous amount of innovation happening. So bring us up to speed on on Snapchat and like users, demographics, what features are different, what keeps your users engaged is a big question. But you know, um, you know how do retailers think about it? I I think we're just looking at some quick stats. Did I see like over 200 million users each day? Um, kind of like scope and scale, like that seems ginormous. Is that have I got that right or? How, how should we think about all those things about uh, about the profile of your platform? Yeah, um, the uh, most recent number we've released is 238 million. Wow. <laughs> Barely wow. Each day. Actu- each actual day. each day. Wow. Each day, um, which is up significantly year on year. And we continue to see, you know, solid growth, which is fantastic. Um, yep. Specifically here in Canada, we reach over 9 million Canadians. When you look at like which Canadians we're reaching, which might be interest to retailers, mm-hmm. Over 80% of like 13 to 24-year-olds and over 60% of 13 to 34-year-olds in Canada. That puts us, you know, within that 13 to 24 demographic as, you know, basically, you know, larger than the other platforms. Is it the case that, uh, as it is often for many platforms, they start young and then their user base starts to age a bit? So um, in the history of, of a Snapchat, it would it would have started younger and then now you've got like what's the spread of those users? It sounds like it's fairly evenly distributed up to you know your twenty four and your thirty year olds, right? Is it is it kind yeah. of a fairly even distribution, or, or describe that for a bit? Yeah, I mean, so Snapchat's only nine years old. So and and it was started. Our you know our founder Evan still runs the business. Um, it started really with his colleagues and peer set in college, right? So if you think about it that way. Um, the average mm-hmm. user was in college nine years ago. Now they have nine, ten years business experience under their right. belt. Right. So right. that, so you see, what we call the term "aging up." Um, yeah. Okay. At, at the end of the day, you know, we we te- we we are definitively like the first choice. Research comes out all the time on this for the for the gen for the largest demographics on the planet, which is Gen Z and Millennial. Um, so within those, within that demographic, which is your 13 to 35 or thereabouts, um, we're their kind of, we're their platform of choice. Well, let's get, let's get really basic. Like for the, let's not assume all the listeners use Snapchat. They may be decision makers who, uh, who may be not even familiar. They might see see this ghost logo around, but not really know. So, So just really basically functionally describe Snapchat and then tell us how, that and other things kind of keep your users engaged and how come 238 million people use it every day? <laughs> yeah. Well, so we, we are, we were founded on the simple principle of, tr- of being the fastest way to communicate. So we're a messaging platform. People, consumers use our platform to connect with their friends, their colleagues, uh, their families, so that's that's the core functionality of the platform, and and the way, in order to be the fastest way to communicate, we kind of looked beyond the QWERTY keyboard. So, um, you know, the old adage: a picture speaks a thousand words, mm-hmm. a video mm-hmm. speaks you know a million words, whatever. The, um, so the vast majority of our the consumers on Snapchat are are communicating visually. Um, mm-hmm. They can add text and they mm-hmm. do type. 
but the vast majority are, you know, it's visual communications or it's a combination of visual and contextual kind of textual, uh, uh, text-based communication. So, um, that's the, that's the core of Snapchat. Now there's a lot more to Snapchat than the messaging platform. We've been, um, over the years, we've, we've broadened out the features within the platform and, and we, I think we've done a really good job. So what we, I like to talk about it as we've, we've married, um, uh, a visual messaging platform with a Netflix or an HBO. Mm. Um, so we, on the, uh, on the other side of the platform is if there, there's a few different sides, but on one side you have your chat, visual chat on the other side is, yeah. and that content. goes away. And, and to be clear, just again, for those who don't use it, the, the pictures, they go yeah. away, right? That you don't they're create a, a library. They're ephemeral they're, It's a snap. Yeah. It, you take the picture and it goes away. Right. So just so, Again, just to kind of really be, be, you know, be obvious about it, so to speak, but not everybody knows, right? Yeah. Well, the other core tenant of Snapchat is outside of being the fastest way to communicate is privacy, privacy mm. by design. Everything we've done since day one, um, it's been, you know, we, we ensure that the platform is private. So it's secure, but also if you think about your average, your conversations with your colleagues, they're not usually recorded when you're like at the water cooler in the office or you're crossing the street and you pass someone and you have that moment where you connect. Um, so we, yeah, so the, uh, the, the messaging, however you're communicating, it, it's ephemeral, it disappears. Um, in no more than 24 hours, sometimes less, depending how you have your settings. Um, so that's another, and, and again, because it disappears, we find that people are a bit more organic and a little less scripted, if you know right. what I mean. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a little less about framing a shot and more about the, capturing the moment. Is that is that a fair? Yeah, story? and being real, being real. Yeah, yeah. So we, right we, you know, so like it's interesting. One of the uh, one of the more interesting stats that have come out, and there's so many. When you have that many consumers on your platform, it, it, yeah, it yeah. there's all sorts of numbers you can kind of tout. But one of the interesting ones is. If there is, on average, there's about seven and a half billion photos and videos taken with digital cameras any given day in the world, um, over half of them, about mm. four, four plus billion, somewhere in that number, um, are taken on Snapchat. So we're a camera company. So like we actually, we actually like if you go look us up online or you go check out the uh, stock or you know you look at a p- corporate profile, mm. we lead with we're a camera company. Hmm. Um, so we're a camera company that, uh, is focused very much on being the quickest way to communicate. And then we built this other side of the platform, which is, uh, seasonal, uh, shows both scripted and and unscripted. Hmm. So what we're finding is that, um, vertical video, which is the way in which, you know, there's no flipping the phone on Snapchat. Everything goes vertical. Hmm. There's no horizontal. Um, we're finding that it's much more intimate. It's much more personal. People like our the consumer on Snapchat is 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 very much into um, you know vertical video, and and because we have this you know, very kind of hard to reach demographic, we've started building out shows. So you know we we have I think there's 400 plus shows on the platform. Many have 10 million kind of monthly uniques. Uh, one in particular we did recently with Will Smith garnered over 35 million and again you said nine million users in in canada right for yeah for just our, right, yeah. Now, let, now let's talk about let's talk about your development engagement strategy 
and a little bit of time pre-COVID, but you know, clearly one of the things that the, as we call it, the great acceleration did, you know, more people are using their phone than ever before. So you mentioned that earlier, more, more, more users on a daily basis, but from a, a strategy perspective and an engagement perspective. And of course I'm going at this from the retailer's lens, you know, how can I understand to, how to, how to reach the people who are on this, this platform and how I can use this platform to, to whether it's social commerce or whether it's engagement, you know, tell me more about what you were thinking pre-COVID and then now has COVID changed anything and what you're working on today? So um, pre-COVID, we were doing things like launching um, a navigation bar or an action bar across the bottom of the uh, the user kind of experience in the, in the app um, to help bring, give more space to things like our mapping and our, our we have a, there's a really interesting map built into Snapchat, which I highly recommend people check out. Um, as well as that discover platform I was telling you about before mm-hmm. where all that mm-hmm. content is, some of which we do on our own, some of which we do with third parties like the BBC, for example, or the CBC, for example, we were focused on building more original content within the snap originals. So within that discover platform, um, and we're very much focused on our, our customer. I mean, first and foremost, that's always been the, you know, what do they want? What, what little kind of sure. tweaks can we give them to make their experience better? Hmm. The great acceleration, as you call it, you know, and I'm assuming you're speaking to the fact that, you know, I don't know, digital internet shopping grew more than like 12 weeks, like in April and May yeah. than it did well, over the course of, things, of a right? decade. Yeah, 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 yeah. So with the onset of what we, what the first thing, think, think when we were thinking about the consumer on, on Snapchat, when, when it became a reality um, that there was a global pandemic and things were shutting down, the first thing, which I find, I don't know, it's, it's, this is, it makes me proud to be at Snapchat, but the first mm. thing we did was launch something called Here For You, um, and it was something that was in the works. We were planning on launching probably in Q4 of this year, so around now. But we accelerated. We, we, we aligned resources to build like a mental health resource center, basically uh, available to all of our consumers, um, providing in-app support um, to help anyone who might be experiencing mental health or emotional crisis. What we, I mean, like, and, and that, this is, a, this, this is big, like, and mm. young people stuck at home, not able to yeah. go to school, uh, mm. not able to meet at the mall, not able mm. to, you know, they didn't have the, you know, many of them don't have the, 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 you know, have not experienced something like this before. So sure. being there for them, um, was our first and foremost kind of take care of the change. Users, right? take yeah. care of the customer, take care of the customer. Users, yeah. yeah, always. And that's something that we've been very, um, that's very important to snap. That was kind of the biggest change in the early days of the great acceleration, as you call it. How are you seeing, or what are you seeing in terms of retailers using the platform? You know, I'm kind of transitioning into talking mm-hmm. about holiday and, and any kind of insights you might have kind of drawing us to a, to a focus on uh, on commerce, on whether it's again influenced commerce, whether it's influencers, whether it's it's social commerce. Talk, so let's talk about that. So, what what are the kind of your your suggestions, or what are retailers doing today, and what further are you are you bringing along so retailers can can start to leverage these uh, or understand or get to these nine million people and, and share their stories? Yeah, I mean, to first and foremost. Um, the so retail and retailers are are one of our largest uh, kind of verticals on the on our client side. So the mm-hmm. the, lo- the major retailers in Canada, for the most part, are either on the platform or experimenting with the platform. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think what they like most first and foremost is that the consumer is content or happy. Um, so they're reaching the consumer on Snapchat that, that kind of greatest generation, Gen Z millennial, the largest generation, I should call it, not the greatest. Um, and, uh, <laughs> um, and, and, and they're reaching them in a moment where they are in good spirits. Cause what we see is the consumer on Snapchat 95% of the consumers, this is studies we've run, um, you know, they're, they're in a better spirits when they come off Snapchat than when they came on it. Cause they're connecting with their friends and their family and their colleagues. Um, and, uh, so, so that's a, it's a, it's a big focus for us retail. And what we've seen, a, we've released a ton of stats that might be fun to share here right now. But, um, you know, we see now most re- our most recent survey of our consumer is you know, 70% of Snapchatters will be making their holiday purchases online this year compared to mm-hmm. only 35% last year. So yeah. that's a doubling, which goes very much in line with, mm-hmm. with the growth of internet shopping and digital sure, shopping. Sure. Um, and, and if you, if you've got those uh, stats, what I can do is I can link to them in the show notes. So if you, if you can provide those of oh, sure. uh, any yeah. depth, you can, uh, you hit the highlights, but then I can, I can, uh, whatever you want to provide, I'll make sure that uh, everyone can find it in the show notes. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. And then you mentioned something specific about influencers and social mm-hmm. influencers. And mm-hmm. it's, it's really interesting. Um, almost like, so we find that, and all the data that, that we see points to, the vast majority of Snapchatters um, say their close friends and family members are the most influential uh, mm-hmm. when they're trying to decide on what to purchase for gifts during the holidays versus a celebrity or an influencer. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, you know, there, there's obviously there's a lot of data out there, but that's literally the that this is literally what we see coming off our platform. And then what's most, and then taking this a step further, what's really interesting, you know, to delight the consumer. They're in a good mood. They're on Snapchat. Things are going really well. Um, we have some really cool tech. <laughs> um, and, and you know, of that 238 million Snapchatters, 180 million of them engage with augmented reality daily. Yeah. Interesting. So we, we consider ourselves, I, I believe we are, um, and, you know, the largest kind of community of, of daily kind of augmented reality users, uh, consumers, so on and so forth. So, we're seeing retailers use that AR, that augmented yeah. reality, um, yeah. to delight the consumer, especially when they can't come into the store. So mm-hmm. we've seen retailers do things like uh, virtual try-ons of sneakers mm-hmm. or clothing, and it's really good. Like I, like I, I could send you, but there's been a bunch of write-ups around um, Champ Sports, which is uh, Foot Locker, trying on the new um, Nike Air and Nike Air Max 95. So like they literally, you know, you, you hold the camera over your feet mm. and, it, and it looks like you're in the sneaker. And then when you walk, it holds onto your foot. It's wow. smart, right? Wow. So you can walk yeah. in them and look at them while you're walking with your phone, mm. play with different colors. That way, you know, it's interesting, right? It's, a, it's, 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 another, it's another way to kind of surprise and delight the customer in hopes that they make the purchase. Well, you know, um, it, it, what it does is um, it, it bridges the gap between being uh, experiential and being efficient. And sometimes, you know, online is more efficient than interesting, right? It's mm-hmm. an efficient, it's efficient way to shop, but it doesn't, 
it doesn't in any way replace, you know, going to a great store with your friends and, and hanging out and, and looking at stuff and having fun. So it's a little, it's a bridge over. So I, I love that idea. Um, last question for you, three pieces of advice for retailers listening and optimizing and, and, you know, pull the lens back a little bit, then focus the lens on, on Snapchat. But how should they think about three pieces of advice for optimizing their, their social media, social commerce strategies and, in the short term, so the next, you know, we're in the we're in the race now, or the marathon till holiday, and then thinking about it to twenty twenty one. What would your top three tips be, or pieces of advice? That's a good question. I mean, it's I, I, three topics in general, three pieces of advice. I'll I'll give it a go. Um, it might it might change depending on who I'm speaking to and depending how leaned in they are. But um, I would I would not forget about digital, um, and I would be very. Uh, I would, so if I'm, if I'm a retailer, I would think of digital first, you know, advertising and marketing. Um, and I would think beyond, you know, the status quo has changed. Um, status quo tends to favor incumbents. Um, so now might be a time to try something new. Two is timing. Um, most Snapchatters, you know, the data we see start planning their purchases and creating, start creating wish lists and whatnot, like right now. Mm, for christmas mm -hmm. so being you know amazon's really good with this but like you know being um getting that messaging out early is important um especially with most gifts bought online you got to think about this right Mm -hmm. the mail and 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 shipping is is not what it used to be timelines have excel you know have, have lengthened Getting that order in to get that product in time for the uh, gift giving is is important. So, mm-hmm. so I would say elongated timelines. I, we're seeing the we're seeing some of the the, the best retailers out there thinking farther ahead these days. Okay. Um, and then um, I I'm going to stick with the try on experiences. Like, listen, we've worked with Sally Hansen and Essie and Champ Sports and, and Foot Locker and Gucci and so on and so forth. Like we've had some Toys R Us here in Canada as well. AR is interesting. And in a world where the vast majority of the consumers are not going to be walking into the store experience mm. this holiday, um, AR is an interesting uh, kind of bridge, as you said. Yeah, we're um, certainly, certainly experiencing retail differently than ever before and uh, that's for sure well it, well listen it, it's it's great advice i mean i i i can only not echo you know <laughs> shop early uh, and shop safe so you know if you want to shop safe what a great way to shop safe by uh, by trying out this uh, great ar now for if retailers listening want to get a hold of of you or snapchat uh, here in canada to talk this through a little bit more what where should they go yeah i mean listen i'm always available I'll, mcgowan at so m-c-g-o-w-a-n at snap snap.com um is the easy way to get in touch with me uh snapchat.com has a ton of resources on the website and if you happen to already be working with us i would say reach out to one your account executive or your account manager um i'm sure they're more than happy to you know follow up with any of this and any answer any questions well matt thanks so much for joining me on on the voice of retail love talking about uh, social media platforms digital first mobile first uh you know ar vr some days it feels like we're living in a big stimulation uh, these days, but it's it's great to hear that uh, the innovation and and such a great audience. So thanks for bringing us uh, those insights, and and I wish you a safe week and and a great holiday ahead. Michael, thank you so much again. Thank you for the opportunity. It's really good to be here. 
Well, thanks to Noah, Ale, Matt for being my guest in this episode. And again, thanks to Snapchat Canada for their support. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on Apple or Spotify, your favorite podcast platform, rate and review, and be sure to recommend to a friend or colleague in the retail industry. I'm Michael LeBlanc, founder and president of Emmy LeBlanc Company, Inc. You can learn more about me on www.emmyleblanc.co or, of course, on LinkedIn. Until next time, have a safe week.